God is good. Hey, how are you guys doing? How was the day? How was your day? Okay, we got a woo. Yeah, good. Um, it was good. Thank you. Finally, somebody, a bunch of jerks in here. Also, this stand only goes this high. It's going to bother me. Do we give, is there another stand back there? Ladies and gentlemen, give it up for Josh Story. The legend himself. Uh, yeah, don't we all? Um, yeah, so uh, while Josh, dude, you are the man. That was really weird, man. Thank you. Chike probably broke it. <clears throat> um, so, uh, so yeah, while I'm getting my stuff together up here, uh, I forgot a key thing in the welcome. Today is Christine Bimber's birthday, which is a big deal. Uh, so if you don't know Christine Bimber, for one, your life is incomplete. Sorry about that. You should meet her ASAP. Uh, she is a, a huge part of this ministry, a really key leader. So give her an awkward hug after, uh, afterwards. Uh, she'll love that. We, we love you, Christine. You're awesome. We also love your husband. He's a dream. George, love you, man. So, yep, there he is. Okay, so uh, yeah, let's do this. Um, uh, we are in Ephesians 1. So we're finishing. We're going through. If this is your first time, man, glad you're here. Uh, we are, have just chosen to go through the book of Ephesians for the next 13 weeks uh, this, this semester. We're going to take a couple of, of uh, kind of special Wednesdays where we'll do something different and, and have a panel or do something kind of cool. But for the most part, man, we're just going to track through the book of Ephesians. It is ridiculous. It's awesome. It's amazing. The truth in it should change my life. I'm challenging you guys to read it every week. There's six chapters in it, so read like a chapter a week of Ephesians. So by the end of the semester, you will have read it theoretically 13 times. My goal is to read the book once a day. I'm struggling on that. I'm not quite to the once a day thing, but my goal is like, I'm gonna see if I can read this book 100 times this semester. Um, and I'm, I'm, uh, I'm a little behind. I've read it like four times this week, so I got some work to do tonight to catch up. But it's powerful, right? We believe here the word of God is powerful. Uh, and so that's what we're gonna do, man. We're not gonna do a whole lot of topical series. We're just gonna say, man, what's the word of God say? Let's submit our lives to it. Let's be changed by it. Um, and so if you got your Bible, start flipping there. We're also going to throw up uh, scripture on the screen if that makes it easier for you. Um, and before we jump in, if I have your permission, I would like to embarrass myself for a little bit. Um, I'm going to tell a story. Yep. Okay, good. Good. Yeah, you love that. Um, Ben's going to make a fool of himself. Go dance, Ben. We're going to laugh at you. Uh, so he, here it is. There's a little bit of a setup to the story. In 2009, the University of Texas, are there any Longhorn fans in here? Okay, okay. There are some Aggies, though, yes? Yes, okay. The cult that I love, you guys are hilarious. Um, so, uh, so the Longhorns were in the big... This was back a while ago when there were 12 teams in the Big 12, and they had a Big 12 championship game, and it was UT versus Nebraska in 2009 for the Big 12 championship. I think it was like the second... Is there a Nebraska person in here? Way to go, way, way to go, good job. So you guys, lost, you guys lost this game I'm about to talk about, so sucks to be you. But uh, it was a bad one too, it was a nail biter. And so it's the Big 12 championship, it's a, it's a huge game. The winner of this was gonna get to go on to Pasadena and play uh, for the national championship. Colt McCoy whisked out that game, they lost to Alabama, because everyone loses to Alabama, uh, usually. And so, uh, and so uh, here's, here's a little bit, uh, Jeffrey, will you show kind of some of the, so this, it was on ABC, and there's something I want you guys to see here. So um, it's on ABC. So what happened was this is the game-winning field goal. At with one second left, uh, your kicker goes out and kicks a 46-year-old, six-year, 40, <laughs> kicks a 46-year-old in the head. He dies. It was a really tragic thing. They they're all really happy though because the guy wasn't it wasn't very popular. <clears throat> 
a 46-yard field goal. Uh, that's Mac Brown. He's super pumped. Colt McCoy's running on the field. This awesome thing. It was just incredible. There's the Nebraska coach. There's your coach. Watch this. Watch his face. Oh, oh, screw that. Screw that. I'm out of here. That's what he said. Um, right? So they, they lost at the, you know, this nail-biter of a game, right? Literally one second on the clock, they go out there, kick a, a 46-yard field goal to win the game. Huge, huge moment. Uh, this was played at AT&T Stadium, and, uh, and so I, I want you to see something here. Um, so this was nationally televised on ABC. I want you to notice something here. So this is Colt McCoy. Go ahead and pause it. Go ahead and pause it. Do you, notice, do you notice the moron over the left shoulder of Colt McCoy? That guy. You can play it. You can play it now. Yeah, that's me, right? That's me. No, keep, keep playing. Keep playing. So that was me. Uh, that was in 2009, so that was like when I was like 27-ish, right? Standing behind Colt McCoy with my backwards Dr. Pepper hat. Uh, so I stole that. I didn't steal. Somebody had an extra photo jacket, right? So I got to the game, and I was helping a buddy who had also an extra press pass. Oh, see that guy with the camera right there? He told me, no joke, he was like, I'm not even recording. <laughs> he, said, he told me that. And I, and I was like, I'm not even supposed to be here. I'm not even sure why I'm here. Somebody got me this press badge, which has the name Richardo Maltabon on it. <laughs> That's good. So I, I was there, right, that whole game. So while I'm standing there behind Colt McCoy on national television, just looking like an idiot, just thinking, look cool, Ben. Just look cool. I got my backwards hat on. I look good. My phone is blowing up because, like, all my buddies are, like, watching TV, and they're like, well, you're on TV. What are you doing right there? And I'm just like, oh, no big deal, man. And I, like, I gave Colt McCoy a good game, and I was talking to the kicker like I knew him. Like, hey, man, good kick, you know, because he was waiting to be interviewed kind of like as if I was going to be next in line. Like, they're going to talk to Colt. They're going to talk to the kicker. They're going to ask me my opinion. And so I just stood there all because this Dr. Pepper 2009 Big 12 championship in Arlington, Texas, pass. It's a long story that I'm not going to tell you of how I ended up sharking a press pass to stand on the sidelines the whole time. And my name was, no joke, Richardo Maltaban. <laughs> so if any security person was like, well, what's your name? Richardo Maltaban. That was me. <clears throat> That was my big moment, guys. That was honestly the peak of my life. Uh, <clears throat> here's, what that, here's what that was. <clears throat> here's where, watch, watch this transition. You ready for this? Here is what that has anything to do with the Bible. Watch this transition. <laughs> uh, so where we're going to be at the end of chapter one in Ephesians is this. We are going to see the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul, the giant, he wrote most of the New Testament, the giant of our faith, the father outside of God our Father in his son Jesus Christ, the father of the New Testament church in many ways, he is going to write to the church that he loves in Ephesus in this book. And the second half of this chapter that we're about to go over is his prayer for these people who he probably loves more than anyone else in the world. He is praying for the people that he, and so what we get, watch this transition, is a VIP pass, right? You see what I did there? Into seeing how the apostle stinking Paul prays for the people that he most loves in the world. And honestly, as I'm studying this, I'm thinking, man, do I just blow through the second half of this chapter? Right, when I read Ephesians 1, the first part of Ephesians 1 is talking about like predestination and sealed to the Holy Spirit and all this awesome stuff. And then the second half is this prayer, yeah, 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 you're praying, get into the good stuff in chapter two. And what we're getting is we're seeing the prayer of this giant 
inspired by the Holy Spirit for his church. And we get this past to be inside that and to see, okay, what does he pray for, for the people he loves? In the, in the Bible, what does that prayer look like? What's that look like? Why does he pray for them? And what do we do with that? And so that's where we're going, right? We're going to zoom in. And if we just read the second half, or hopefully, Lord willing, you're in Ephesians on your own, and you just kind of blow through some of the stuff, man, you're going to miss really, really good stuff. And instead, if we see it as, man, what an opportunity. What an opportunity to sit at the feet of God and hear his word over us and hear what Paul might pray for the church that he loves arguably more than any other church in the world at this time. That's what we're going to do. We're going to look at these nine verses, and we're going to ask two questions tonight. Nine verses, we're asking two questions. Why does he pray for them, and what does he pray for them? That's what we're doing. Why does he pray for them, and what does he pray for them? Because I think if I know those things, right, I think if, if we can dig up those things and really wrap our hands around why he's praying for them, what it is about them that he loves so much, and why he loves and prays them, and then what his prayers are for these people— man, then, then that can set a goal in my life. That can set a, a trajectory and a, a post in my life to say, man, I want to be that kind of a man. I want to be a man like that. I, I want to fit in God's will in that way. So first, let's look at why. Ready? Chapter 1, verse 16. We'll throw it up on the screen for you if that's easiest. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in all my prayers. So right there, why does Paul love and pray for them so much? Why does he love and pray for them so much? It says it right there, because of their faith in Jesus and because of their love towards the saints. Paul says in verse 15, it is for this reason, and that is, that is modifying this idea of it for this reason, because you have faith in Jesus and you have love for the saints. So I'm going to quickly go through and talk about these two aspects what it looks like to have faith in Jesus and why that would be a big deal. Um, these people, right, obviously Paul loves him and he says, man, you are my people because of this faith you have. Putting your faith in Jesus, I, I don't know if I could think of a more cliche, churchy phrase that we throw out there that is obviously such an important phrase and we say, man, you just gotta put your faith in Jesus. And yet what does that really mean? Right? What does that look like from an outsider standpoint? What is that? And especially something that is so weighty and important as this idea of a saving faith in Jesus Christ. What's that mean? I want to give you a little context, right? Because what that meant in this context, I think we've lost a little bit now in 2017. Um, Romans 10.9, there's a, a verse in Romans 10.9 that talks about how if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, you'll be saved. I think we... Um, I think I've seen that verse kind of taken out of context and used in some ways to say, hey, how do, I, how do I really know that I'm a Christian, right? How do I really have this saving faith, right? Put my faith in Jesus. That's what it's all about. That's what kind of saves me. I'm saved by grace through this faith that I have. Well, confess with your mouth. You know, believe and just confess with your mouth, and that's all it takes. Um, and we are saved by grace through faith. All that we can bring to the table is faith. We're not adding to the gospel. We're not adding to salvation in our part in that. We are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Um, but I think to understand the context of what was living at this time, to say confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, man, I, I can tell my four-year-old son, yeah, you just need to repeat this prayer and say Jesus is Lord, and, and that's it. When Paul wrote that, he was writing it to an, to an audience that to confess Jesus as Lord was a death sentence. I'm reading it in a vacation Bible school to kids. 
and taking it out of context and saying, yeah, just say Jesus is, is Lord, right? I, th- I, think we, I think to really wrap our, our minds around, man, what, is, what does faith look like? I think one thing we can at least appreciate the context they're in. We even hear the word Lord. I would argue that when you hear the word Lord, most likely you hear the word Lord through kind of a religious lens, right? We think of like Jesus is Lord. That's not a word we use, right, other than the music artist, right? That's not a word that we use a lot in our everyday life. The context of the word Lord, for most of us, especially in the Bible Belt, think of the word Lord as something that's an adjective for Jesus. But when it was being used and introduced in the New Testament, the word Lord was a death sentence because the Lord Caesar is where that came from. Caesar was Lord. These people, these believers, these people who are putting their faith and confessing Jesus as Lord, they're taking the word that this culture, a Roman world, who is proficient in execution, uses exclusively to attach to their Caesar, who they say is deity. He is our Lord. He is. And so these people are saying, nope, he is not. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is who I submit my life to. And so to say, confess with your, your mouth, believe in your heart, Jesus is Lord, there's a weight to that that I think sometimes we just kind of stay in the shallow end and say, yeah, yeah, I believe it. But, but the reality is there is a weight to that, that, man, in the context, that do we see, do we feel that way, do we believe that, do we, do we look at the faith of these men and say, wow, they put faith in Jesus. That means that they might have their children murdered, their families murdered. It wasn't just career suicide for them, which certainly it was. I mean, it, w- it was maybe a death sentence in them. And yet these people stepped out and had faith, right? That's just a little nugget in this to say, wow, Okay, I see why Paul loved that. And then that encourages and challenges me and hopefully you to say, wow, okay, what does my faith look like? Right? What does is, what is my faith look like? I, I think so often the bar for salvation and faith has been lowered so low in some ways that at times it's hard to recognize religious ritual or religious sentiment from actually a life surrendered to Jesus Christ. It's not by works but it's by faith. So what's our faith look like? Have we really surrendered our life? Are we those people that we could say, yeah, my faith is in Jesus. Not just my words, not just my re- religious affiliation. My faith is in Jesus. Paul identified it in the Ephesians. He loved them for it. He prayed for them. The second thing of why he says he's praying for them, for this reason, your faith in Jesus and your love towards the saints. I didn't really want to preach this part. Uh, because it kind of goes against my personality. And that's the beauty of preaching the Bible because I don't get to pick what I can and can't preach whenever it's like, well, we're preaching Ephesians. So if it says predestination, I got to preach predestination. If it says love towards the saints, I got to preach that. And so here's what I mean by that. Some of you guys are going to connect with me. Some of you guys are going to be like, no, I never really struggled with that, Ben. Great, good for you. Hang with me. We'll circle back around and pick you guys up in a second. Um, He is... All throughout, every book that Paul writes, every letter that Paul writes to the churches that he loves, you point one out to me and I will show you where it is littered with this idea that Paul is encouraging believers to love, find unity, and even prioritize loving other believers, right? He's saying, man, I love how you love the other saints, the other Christians. I love and am praying for you because you love Jesus and you love the other Christians in your community well. That is a good thing. Obviously, that's a good thing. Here's a little bit how God's wired me, but then also where my flesh started taking over. I would rather, and there's no offense to you guys if, if you're Christians in this room, I would rather hang out 
and love the like gangster or the, you know, the drunk guy in the back alley or the homeless guy who just tried to stab me or the, you know, you know, womanizing businessman who is far from Jesus, right? I would rather love and kind of spend my time with these people who don't know Jesus. And there is a swing with our generation. I don't think I would preach this in a lot of other contexts because I think it's unique to our generation, but there is a swing in our generation where we have swung to, man, church is great, Christians are great, but yeah, I get them, but they wear me out, man. I want to go be with non-Christians. I want to go, and we take what is absolutely a command and a demand of God to go and be light in a dark place, to go and be on mission and to be missionaries and to go and make disciples. We talk about that all the time. And they take that and they reject this idea of, I would rather love the non-believers, the people who aren't the saints, the people who are lost, I have more compassion for them than I do the annoying passive Christian. And that is my own heart, and I am in that category half the time as kind of this passive Christian that is kind of going through the Christian motions. And that's got to frustrate people who are on mission. And yet, here is this idea all throughout the epistles, all throughout the New Testament, where Paul and God is saying, man, you've got to love each other. And what happens is, we, we, settle, we settle for this single-serving Christianity. You know those like little coffee, those little coffee creamers that are like single-serving? You know, you don't have to have the big cream thing that you got to share with other people. You, just, you can go and get the little single-serving ones and tear off the deal and dump them in, right? Or the single-serving, you know, snacks or the single-serving everything on an airplane is kind of the single-serving idea, right? We settle for a single-serving Christianity because so often, if you're wired like me, my instinct is to say, I got the Holy Spirit in me. I don't really need the church. I don't really need to love and be around the other saints. They wear me out. They're not on fire. They're not wired in the way I'm not. They're not passionate about the things I'm passionate about. I want to go over here and do this. I don't really need the church. I don't really want the church. They're slowing me down. They need to wake up. I'm frustrated by them. And so I have less love and less compassion for them. And I settle for a single serving. I'm going to do my Jesus thing. And I'm going to create my own thing over here. And what we're doing is we are we're settling. We're compromising God's design for the church and the body because maybe we're frustrated by some of the passivity in the church. Let me say this. I think it comes from a really honest place. Man, if that's you, if you're like, oh, crap, that's totally me, right? If I just read your mail, I'm in that camp with you, right? That's how I feel. I want Paul every time to be like, go love just lost people and prioritize lost people. If they're a Christian and they can't get on board, forget them. Just love, right? That's not what he says all throughout the New Testament. I think it comes from an honest place of a lot of us who are young adults, especially, man, if your story is you grew up in the Bible Belt for a while. We saw a church, we saw a, a culture of a church that just huddled together, right? Like the generation before us in the church, and I'm kind of getting nerdy on you here, I mean, it became its own Christian subculture. So you've got your own Christian music, you've got your own Christian movies, which are kind of like other movies, just not as good, and the Christian music... <laughs> It's kind of like other music, except just not as good. And then we don't have the Grammys. We have the Dove Awards. It's, our own, it's like the Special Olympics of Christian music, right? So like we give everyone trophies there, right? And then we have, right, we have all of these subcategories in this subculture that we've created in Christianity where we've got our own Christian news networks, right? We've got our own Christian, and we just huddle. And I, and I, and I think that that's wrong. And I think that that's against what the New Testament teaches. So hear me say that. 
That's counter to how God has called us to go and be salt and light. And if we just simply huddle all together, and so I think a lot of leaders in our generation, and I think a lot of people in this room who are leaders and will be leaders in the church that the Holy Spirit has established in the future, I think we're reacting to that. And we see that, and we're like, golly, that's gross, and that doesn't, that doesn't look like Jesus, that's Christian subculture. And so we swing so far over here that we are compromising this idea of, okay, what's that balance look like? How do I love the saints? How can I prioritize other believers that maybe honestly are harder to love in some ways? Maybe they're harder to have compassion, harder to have patience for. If that is not you, and if during that little soapbox you were like, I don't struggle with that at all, I love you, that is very possibly because you have a maturity that is, that is great, and I applaud that. It could also be that you have become comfortable with passive Christianity. So that also could be, if I, you're, I was just talking, you're like, what? Are you, what? Talking about, what? I, don't, I don't understand why you wouldn't like that. Like, that's, that's my default. Maybe there is an element of that to check your heart to say, okay, I don't have a problem loving the saints. All I want to do is hang out with Christians, but where in my life am I finding that balance to also go be light and salt in all of the other things that Jesus has called me to be a well-rounded disciple? Okay. <clears throat> in summary... Paul's praying for the Ephesians. He says, for these reasons, in verse 15, for these reasons, their faith, their love for other Christians. Why is that important? Right? Like, why is it important to slow down and unpack that? One, because it's in the Bible. And we believe the Bible is important. So inherently, we want to stop and say, okay, God, what are you, what are you, what are you showing us here? What are you teaching us here? He's, he's telling us, Paul is telling us why he's praying for them. And then two, because it highlights two characteristics that I think are really important for me and you to lean into so that I might be more in God's will. Faith and love. Man, what's my faith look like? What's my love look like? Not just love for outsiders, but my love for the insiders, love for other believers, patience and compassion towards them. Am I doing those things? It's important that we lean into those two characteristics and apply it to ourselves. So, second question. I told you we were going to ask two questions. Why is he praying for these guys? Which Paul answered pretty clearly. And then the second question, what does he pray? Here's what he prays. Verse 17. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory. Man, that is a beautiful title. The God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. Paul is praying for the church in Ephesus, and his prayer for them is for wisdom. That's what Paul's praying. So we lean in to say, oh man, what is Paul going to pray for the people he loves? What is this epic prayer? What is, the, what is the content that he wants for these people, this amazing church? Wisdom. Wisdom for the spirit of wisdom. He prays for the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. He doesn't, he doesn't pray for the, for the spirit of emotion and feeling, right? He doesn't pray for the spirit of, of miraculous wonders, right? He doesn't pray for the spirit of, you know, the ability to fly and shoot laser beams out of your eyes. He doesn't pray for these amazing other cool things. He prays for wisdom, the spirit of God to, to give them wisdom in knowledge, Honestly, that's not what I would have prayed for. Like, I would have, I would have prayed for, man, I want, to, I want to pray for this church, this ministry, passion and urgency and, and emotion and passion and energy and, and stamina to run the race. But the Apostle Paul, for the church that he most loves, says, man, 
I want you to have wisdom and knowledge. Not passion, not, not miraculous wonders. I want you to have wisdom and knowledge. Um, that's huge. That is, uh, that's huge. Uh, the Holy Spirit, right? He, he prays for not just them to be smarter. He prays for them to have the spirit of this. Um, Holy Spirit's a really important thing. Um, I don't have time to fully unpack that, right? But for those of you who are like, man, what does that really look like? We can't just skim past that. What does that really look like? If I were to try to define the Holy Spirit in 20 seconds, what I would be doing is I would be shrinking him down to a box that he shouldn't fit in, right? I'd be oversimplifying the Spirit of God in that way. But here's what I can say. The Holy Spirit is the third part of the Trinity. We believe God is three in one, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit, we believe, is God's indwelling spirit that he gives to us. And that when Jesus rose from the grave, he then ascended later, 40 days later, and then the Holy Spirit was given to his followers. And that if you have put your faith in Jesus, truly put your faith in Jesus, then you have the Holy Spirit given to you. And it does amazing things in your life. It brings conviction where there was no conviction. Uh, Sin that you used to enjoy but still left you empty, starts to taste not as enjoyable. It brings conviction. It stirs your affections for Jesus. It points most significantly, most significantly, it points you to Jesus. It allows you to see Jesus and, 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 and notice him and, and, and worship him and believe him, and it does it through the working of the word of God, I believe, that he's given us, and it illuminates this word of God that as I read Ephesians over and over again, and, and, and Lord willing, you are in scripture, this, this tool that God has given you, his word, to reveal himself so that you might know him more. The spirit is in us, and it's the one that's like, hey, look, hey, don't skip over that part about loving the saints. Hey, look what I want you to learn here, Ben. Look at this blind spot in your life, Ben, and this kind of this immaturity, and, and come, come more this way. There's some more I have for you. It points us to Jesus. It points you to Jesus. That's what the Holy Spirit does. And so here he's saying, hey, that spirit, I want that spirit to to bring this wisdom and this knowledge, Um, which again, I just, I wouldn't, that's not what I would have picked, all right? I would have thought something way more spectacular and and momentum moving, but that is what he says. I also think it's really important that that we identify there's something different. There's something different between knowledge and information. He's not praying for the spirit of information, right? There's something very different between knowledge and information. And we aren't just looking for more information. We're looking to know him better. We're looking to know God better. And yes, we need to receive information. We need to learn. We need to saturate our minds with with great thinkers before us and, and, and saturate our minds with understanding and knowledge. And we need the spirit to turn that into wisdom, not just Information. So Paul elaborates and defines for us better what this knowledge looks like that he's praying for his people, and there's three dimensions to it. So verse 18, here are the three dimensions. As he kind of says, this isn't just an ambiguous knowledge. There's kind of these three corners to it that I, he's going to elaborate on. He says, actually, let me go and read 17 to you first so you can kind of get the whole context of this prayer. He says that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him, And then he defines it a little more, and he says, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might. 
Here is our challenge. Uh, Here's the challenge for tonight. The challenge is for us to pray. The challenge is for us to see the prayer of Paul and then to say, okay, I'm going to zoom into these three three characteristics that we're going to unpack here briefly. But Lord, would you multiply these things in my life? Holy Spirit, Father, would you, would you give me that spirit more and more of this wisdom and knowledge, specifically in these areas that Paul asked us to pray? And so my challenge for you is that you are praying these things in your life. You are praying and begging the Lord to, to show you and give you these things. The first one, pray for it, is pray to know hope. He says right there, what is the hope that which he has called you? You are praying, God, show me what this hope looks like. And we'll unpack that in a second. But I'm going to say all three of these at once, and then we'll, we'll slow down on them real quick. The hope, he's also praying to know the inheritance. Praying that, God, would I understand and know my inheritance more? And thirdly and finally, he says here in, in verse 17, 18, he says, pray to know the power. The greatness, the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe. God's power towards us. And that's... That's our prayer. Our prayer is, and my hope and challenge for you guys when you're driving home, if you would like to stay afterwards and spend some time praying, grab us to pray, put your head on the pillow tonight, you're saying, God, give me the, like, would I increase in my knowledge of the hope? Would I know the hope better? Would I know the inheritance better? And would I know the power better? Let me unpack those. Hope. Look at, uh, look at 1 Corinthians. No, I'm sorry. I'll just throw it up on the screen because you don't have to flip over there. 1 Corinthians 15, 54 through 58. I love this picture articulated of hope here in, uh, in 1 Corinthians. Here's what it says. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on the immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? Listen to this. The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Hope. This articulation of hope that Paul admits this is the key part of what I want to pray for the people I love is powerful. Hope is such a, every politician knows this. Every politician ever has just built his campaign on hope and change and things aren't good, so we're gonna make them good again, right? And we've got this hope to push towards, right? That's how people get elected. People understand the power that is in hope. Um, Let me talk about the power of hope and why it's so important to know this hope better. Um, There are people in this room, I love you, and there are people in this room who have experienced some really crazy loss, just sad, heartbreaking loss in their life. Um, people in our family here that uh, have lost people really close to them and lost mothers and fathers and husbands in this room, and, um, and that is so tragic, right? Lost babies, and, uh, and that is a weighty, weighty thing. And yet, this articulation of hope that God gives us 
for those who have loss and experience loss, and if you've experienced loss and you're experiencing the weight of that, this weight that doesn't seem to, to lift, then look what, look what 1 Corinthians describes this hope as. It says, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? And the power of the hope of God is wrapped up in this idea that I can look at death and I can look at loss and not be happy about it and not cease to grieve because there are seasons to grieve and grieving is healthy, but that somehow in there that one day I could be able to sing those lyrics, not because I just put on a good attitude or change my perspective, but because I hold on to the hope that man, one day this death isn't going to have any power over us. And one day this loss that I've experienced is going to be wiped away. And so when we see these psalms and we see these, these words and this truth pop off this page and we get to sing lyrics and profess and, and acknowledge with our life and our heart, death, where is your sting? Do we understand the weight of what we're singing? Do we really have that hope? Are we singing lyrics or has our life been rocked by, by loss in a way that, man, we can only sing that through the Spirit giving us this knowledge of the hope that we have. And that hope ties directly to the inheritance we have. This inheritance we have, right? Uh, last week, I got to talk about uh, inheritance, which is this second characteristic that Paul talks about. And, and if you were here last week, I talked about how inheritance shifts our perspective, right? Because if we have this perspective of inheritance that is great, it's going to change the way we live our life presently. Um, but what is that inheritance, right? Tangibly, what is it that we're getting? 1 Corinthians 2.9, I'm going to throw it on the screen. Eye has not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. That is our inheritance. What he's saying is your inheritance, eye hasn't seen, you cannot comprehend the greatness for what God has prepared for those who love him. For those who put their faith in Jesus, the inheritance is great. And so if you have suffered loss and you're struggling to find hope, if you are, if you are stuck in anxiety and depression that, that just doesn't seem to lift, right? Instead, you get to shift your focus on saying, Lord, I know there will be hope. I have this hope of this inheritance, this thing that I has not seen, what God has prepared for me, this joy that awaits me, Lord, I can claim that and I can know that more. And to the depth in which I know and understand the hope and the inheritance I have will be the depth that I am able to walk in that victory and to overcome that, that loneliness, right? Man, so many of us in this room are, are battling this kind of hopelessness of loneliness, man. And this idea of like, man, I don't, maybe it's even a loneliness of, man, I don't want to be single. And you're tired of being single. I love you, Shepard. Um, it's a beautiful baby, man. Pray for that baby. It's awesome. Uh, right? So maybe, maybe for you, it's this idea of like, man, what the heck is going on with this loneliness in my life? And maybe, it's, maybe I'd rather just compromise in my life rather than feel this. And the Lord says, man, if you only knew Paul's prayer for you would be the Holy Spirit, the God, your Father's prayers. Guys, I want you to have the Spirit to increase your knowledge so that you know better the hope and the inheritance that awaits you. Because the more you know that hope, that inheritance, you can't even fathom. It's eternal life. It's eternal life, but it's also a current life. It's also your current life right now that can be lived with joy and freedom through a perspective shift that we begin to have as we grow in our knowledge of this hope and this inheritance. So do you hope? Pray for it. Pray for it. Pray for more of it. I'm going to pray for more of it. Do you know your inheritance? Pray for more knowledge of your inheritance. Pray for more understanding. Pray for the Spirit 
to show you more and more. Get in Scripture and say, Lord, show me what this inheritance is. It's not selfish. Right? It's, not, it's not baiting yourself to be, be worldly. No, this is a heavenly inheritance that God has given you, and, and now it has impact in your life. Pray for it. Do you hope? Don't just say, yes, I do. Look at your life. Is he better? Is he better? Look at your life. Do you fear man more than you fear God? Look at the decisions and the way you walk in your life and say, well, yeah, I hope in Jesus. I believe in inheritance. Is it impacting your daily life? Okay, last thing is the power. So he says these three things. He says, man, let me show you what kind of knowledge I want to give you through the spirit. I want to give you this, this better knowledge of hope, this better knowledge of inheritance, and this better knowledge of the power of God towards you. Our confidence in his power comes from our faith in the risen Jesus. That's where our confidence in the power of God comes from. He rose Jesus from the dead. Jesus is now standing at the right hand. Don't take my word for it. Listen to the rest of Ephesians 1. It's up on the screen, verse 20 through 23. Actually, let me back up so you get the full context. He says in verse 19, And what is the immeasurable greatness of the power towards us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. Look at the power of God. And seated him in the right hand of the heavenly places. Look at the power of God. Far above all rulers and authorities and power and dominion and above every name that is named not only in the age, this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet. Look at the power of God. He put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church. Look at the power of God. Head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. The power of God. Man, I, I don't have the words to convince you of what the power of God looks like, what the hope that we have looks like, what the inheritance looks like. Man, but would we see this passage and say, God, I need your spirit to reveal that. I want to know what your power looks like. I want to know what it looks like. And man, some of you guys are, and girls, um, you are stuck in sin. Man, you're just stuck in sin and have been. And you get these glimpses of victory and these glimpses of, of freedom from it. And it, and it kind of seems a little far away. And then all of a sudden you realize, no, it's, it seems to still be shackled to me. I just, keep, I just keep returning to this. And just stuck in this sin in your life. And it's maybe sin that nobody else knows. And oh my gosh, the, the darkness that is in that to, to just kind of hold that in and not bring that into the light, not confess it out of fear of man because your fear of man is greater than your fear of God, just like me and just like me. I'm a 34-year-old pastor who still wrestles with this thing and I, I, I read these, this section of scripture and I think, man, the power of God, do I not really know the power of God? Do I not really know the power of Jesus? Do I not really know and believe it? Because look at, these, look at these empty wells I keep going back to. Look at the sin that I keep going back to that I know is going to leave me empty. And you know it's going to leave it empty. I'm praying to know the power of God. That tonight, at some point during this worship, at the end of worship, as you're putting your head on your pillow, whatever that looks like, you say, God, show me. God, show me. You open up his word. Spend some time in Ephesians 1, wherever he takes you. Psalm 51, wherever that is. John 14. Read the book of 1 John tonight. Say, God, show me your power. Not your power to do miracles, your power of how in control you are to set us free. The power of Jesus Christ, 
who is, has dominion over everything, loves me, interceding, whispering in the Father's ear for me, saying, yes, he's mine, she's mine. There is power in that. Am I walking in that? Am I walking in the freedom that that kind of power should? Are those chains in my life, that sin that I cannot shake on my own, I can't seem to just do better, surrender it to Christ and say tonight, Christ, I need you to break this in my life. I need to walk in your power, please, in the name of Jesus. Power in that. Man, I hope that for you. I love you. I want that for you. Let me pray over you. Father, you're good. You're good and you love us so perfectly. And your word is so good. Um, God, your, your prayer for your, your people, how your spirit has inspired this and spoken through this book, Lord, would we, would we apply it? Would we hear these nine verses and would we see what, what godliness looks like, these people who have faith and these people who love well? And then would we see this, this spirit of knowledge and would we crave it, God? Would we crave it and desire it? For those who are far from you in this room, God, for those who maybe are struggling to even believe any of this, Lord, would your spirit drag them to you to show you how good you are? That they don't have to be good, you are good, and that you will do the work of transformation in our life, Father. For all of us, God, would we crave, would we hunger, would we lean in to your spirit who might allow us to know you more, to know the hope, to know the inheritance, and to know the power that we have in our relationship with you. Please do this in the name of Jesus. Amen.